This is Things Police See, first-hand accounts, with your host, Steve Gold. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is episode number 55, and uh, we did it, folks. Finally, on the podcast, we have a Canadian. We have a Canadian officer lined up. It's going to be a great interview. I'm excited for it. It's a a female officer, which is kind of uh, also great because I've been trying to get more women to come on the show. And um, yeah, just kind of uh, two birds, one stone type of deal here. I've been contacted in the past by several Canadian officers, even even Mounties, and uh, nobody followed through. So this is um, this is my first Canadian, and uh, I'm super happy to have a female on too because I feel like I haven't got enough of them on the show. So not my fault, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe the the podcast isn't um, most women's cup of tea. Also, there's just not that many women in law enforcement. I think it's only like 10 percent or something. So I've been doing my best with that. So I'm happy to have her. She's she is active on the job. She's not retired. And we're not going to use her full name. I'm going to call her M. She works for a municipal agency. So she's a beat cop in the province of Ontario. And um, when I looked up her agency, it looks like she's in one of the more populated areas of Canada. So uh, I'm sure she's got some great stories. I can't wait to talk to her about the differences in um, training, hiring, and just police work in general in Canada because it uh, it is very different. Um, I've spent some time up there. When I was younger, I loved the country. I loved the people. If you don't like Canadians, there's something wrong with you because they're great. So every one of them too. <laughs> Never met a bad Canadian. So um, without further ado, let's give her a dial. Hello. M, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is great. This is really cool. I, I was just saying in the intro that, you know, I've been contacted by several Canadians in the past and there's been a lot of um, empty promises about coming on the show, kind of dead ends. And then uh, along you came, ready and willing. Wow. Well, don't let that reflect on us Canadians. We're good people, I promise. No, I, you know, it's the other thing I just said. I go, I've never met a Canadian I didn't like. They're all, every <laughs> single one of them are good. Can't tell me different. Um, I used to go up there and party a bit when I was younger. I went to a college in uh, Western Massachusetts and there was like a bus for $99. You could go to Montreal for the weekend. Oh, and, buddy. <laughs> oh, it was so cool. You know, for a kid who just grew up, you know, in Mass- in, in the Northeast with just very everybody, you know, just very like a, let's say a whitewashed area for, for culture. It just was like a lot of the same, very bland. Every, even everybody I, woke, I uh, grew up around, Nobody had accents. You know, we everybody talks like newscasters. <laughs> so to be able to get on a bus and go like eight hours north and then you're there's people speaking French. Um, there's all kinds of, uh, you guys have all kinds of quips and different sayings. I think you call cases of beer uh, two-fours or two-fours. <laughs> it's a two-four. A two-four. You call your yeah. your money loony toony or something. <laughs> right? Yeah, we yeah we have we have dollar, dollar coins and two-dollar coins. They're called loonies and toonies. There's just nothing not fun about going to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's crazy. Montreal is probably one of the most diverse uh, cities in Canada as well. So you would have gotten quite an experience coming up here. And the drinking age is 18. Like, you can't beat it. Yeah, it was, from what I remember, we had a really good time. It was good. From what you remember. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you've been on the job uh, two years now, correct? Yep, that's right. 
Okay. So I'm really interested, of course, I'm going to going to want to start with your, with the hiring process in Canada. Is it, um, from what you heard down here in the States, is it, is it similar? Do you guys do, um, the, the whole background deal are very thorough? We, so our process from what I know about Americans, it's very different. And we actually have three different levels of, of policing here in Canada as well. So we have like your municipal slash regional slash city. Um, and that's what I do. I work for, uh, a region and, um, uh, you know, in a, in a city police service, but we also have provincial level police. So like your state police, and then we've got, uh, our national police. So the RCMP, um, those are the ones that typically when Americans make fun of cops, it's cause they look at the, uh, the RCMP with their big funny hats and their red jackets. And, yeah. um, so those are, it. yeah, we're so, um, but with our hiring process, so you apply to a service, um, you apply to whatever service you want to work for. That's your first step. Um, and then, um, so the service that I work for, um, I applied and the first thing that I had was, uh, called my local focus interview. And what they do is they talk to you for about an hour, um, and they ask you various questions. Um, and it's, it's pretty standard about kind of where you came from, uh, who you are. And then they throw in a couple, um, scenarios like policing scenarios and they just kind of want to get an idea of what you would do kind of as a human. They don't expect you to have any fancy police answers. Um, and then when you pass that, your second one is called your essential competency interview. And this one is awful. It's, um, it's about three hours and they ask you five questions in these three hours. But what they do is they, um, transcribe the entire interview. So you have to talk slow, which <laughs> oh is very goodness. challenging. Yeah. You, you ever heard of tape slow. recorders up there? If, yeah, you'd think, but, uh, for some reason they like to, they type it out or, uh, even hand bomb it. And, uh, they, cause they use it as a way to mark your answer. So it's, it's five very specific questions and, um, you'll give an answer. And then sometimes they'll ask you to step out into the hallway and they'll, they'll discuss your answer. I had to step out of my interview four times. I was like, I'm not getting hired. There's no wow. way. That is yeah. like psychological warfare. <laughs> it is insane. Brutal. Yeah. So when you make it through that, then your third interview is uh, the chief's interview. So uh, they'll send you up to the chief's office and it's either the chief or the deputy chiefs, depending on availability, who talk to you for about 20 minutes. And it's essentially just the, you know, I, I don't think it takes them very long to look at, you know, whoever it is and go, yes, they're going to be a cop or no, I don't want this person around. So that one's um, pretty standard. Then once you get the okay from that, then they go to your, uh, your background interview. So they will contact like every boss you've ever worked for. Um, if you have a boyfriend or a spouse, uh, they'll reach out to them. Um, sometimes they will, uh, go to your, your former, uh, place of work and actually talk to them. So at the time when I applied, I was a teacher. So they went in and actually talked to my principal, uh, face to face. And, uh, once that goes through, they come and do a home visit. So they come sit in your house yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and chat with you there. And then you finally get the okay. So it's a very intense program, uh, process. So awkward. I remember, um, when I was doing it for LAPD, uh, <laughs> like we'd take their phones and do social media checks. Like it was just oh. it, because of the way passwords are stored now, they would, um, like all that stuff you just said is very familiar to me. We used to do that stuff. And then, um, for the social media aspect, uh, we would just take their phone because having them sit down and log into our work computer, like half the time you don't remember your password. You know what I mean? Like, Oh God, no. So it's like, they'd be like, well, can I just use your phone? Most candidates won't say no. They're like, uh, okay. And that's Is that uh, not a privacy breach. They would never do that up here. Um, yeah, it's kind of a gray area that, that has been discussed <laughs> before, but, um, still doing it, you know, just, uh, 
I mean, I think you could probably say no. Yeah, but you're not going to want to say no. Right, Nobody right, would. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there was just like, especially with, um, when you catch people off guard, there was always like, you know, the, I would get, um, I would get like dudes like posing outside the agency 15 minutes earlier before their interview with me, you know, saying something about, you know, anticipating meeting me or, you know, something real cocky, um, on their social media <laughs> or, um, Oh God, well they shouldn't be a cop. <laughs> yeah. Or like there was the worst was, um, like the, the duck facing with girls or like them in the, their bikinis oh. and like super like revealing, uh, Instagram like accounts. And I'd be like, yeah. Oh boy, this is terrible for both of us. So, they, but they don't, they didn't subject you guys to that. That's good. Yeah, no, they ask for you. I think I want to say in the paperwork prior to your first interview, I think they ask for your social media handle. But I mean, at the end of the like, I think most people have the common sense to kind of do a quick purge through their social media. I know I got rid of pretty much all of mine. So yeah, yeah, I found that a lot too. people. Well, I don't have Facebook. I'm like, really? That's, it's <laughs> amazing. You don't have Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you're all set then. Um, yep. So how long was How long did the hiring process take? So up here in, uh, so I live in Ontario. So how our policing works is um, all the municipal and provincial service um, services in Ontario go to the same police college. It's called Ontario Police College, and it's located in a pretty small town um, just west, uh, about an hour or maybe two hours west of Toronto. Police um, college, they call it. Police college, yep, they call it uh, Ontario Police College. So it runs classes um, three times a year, so intakes in January, May, and September, and they last for about 13 weeks. So when, yep, so when you get hired, um, you have kind of the same start date as the rest of the people that you got hired with, and you get sent down to police college um, altogether with all the other services. So my intake... Um, when I got hired from my service, there were 13 of us that got sent to police college and the intake of all the new officers in Ontario, uh, I think there were about 350 of us. Wow. It's a big class. Yep. So, and when you're at police college, they divide you up into, I think there were 10, you know, different, different classes there. And you, you go to all of your classes during the day with everybody and you live there during the week, um, Monday to Friday, and then you're able to go home on weekends. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, and you're, you're paid to be like you're paid from your service while you're there um at obviously a lower rate than a than a um constable but um yeah you're paid to be there so it is essentially your full-time job and it's a pretty sweet uh sweet gig there i mean you're you're being paid to you know go to class every day and do fun police things and yeah yeah, and are yeah they, is it paramilitary like getting your face and stuff um yeah no i, I definitely not probably not what it used to be. Um, they're just, they're strict on, you know, timing and, um, you know, your, uh, deportment, you know, looking good and your shoes are shined and depending on the, the officers that are there, some of them, like the, some of the sergeants, you know, like to really keep it old school and, you know, make sure your shoes are shined and your, all your little, uh, threads in your shirts are plucked and things like that. So. But they, do they do anything humiliating, like in your face or anything or not really? Um, no, I, I think, uh, society as a whole has become too soft for that to be okay anymore. <laughs> I know that's the way it's moving. Yeah. I went, I mean, I went through not that long, not so long ago. I mean, early or 2006, I think seven in Massachusetts. And it was like, you know, our guy was still a Marines. He was a Marine, um, our drill instructor. And he was, you know, he'd get in your face, but half the stuff, like, I'm not sure it's just, you know, it's a game. You know what I mean? So you're not like, mm-hmm. you're not so freaked out. It's not like you actually think this man hates me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, oh, for sure. I was the, on day one, 
Um, I was getting yelled at because I looked, we were in line and I looked into the girl's bathroom. I just looked to my right and there was a girl's bathroom. <laughs> He's like, oh, you want to go in the girl's bathroom? Get in there. <laughs> so then it's just oh. me and him in this like cavernous girl's bathroom that's shut down for the season. It was at a memorial hall. And he's just oh, screaming at us. We're just alone. And everybody can hear it bellowing <laughs> out to the rest of the cadet, you know, the troops. Oh, wow. And then, no, um, nothing like that. And then someone was laughing at me when he put me back in line. So he took these two guys out. He made them rub each other's bellies and laugh. He's like, laugh, keep <laughs> laughing. No, no, keep laughing. Laugh. And it went on for so long that they were like, ha, 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 like terrified, but pretending to laugh. It was really, uh, I think back, it was really screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, that, that is really bizarre. That's something that I think it takes you a little, a little while to look back and go, okay, that was not right. <laughs> yeah, it was really, um, it was really something. But that being said, it wasn't sleepover. And I think, and I was excited because there is sleepover academies you could be sent to by your chief in Massachusetts. Um, I was excited to go home every day, even if, even if it's a quick turnaround and they like give you homework. Um, I think probably sleeping there is probably more you, it's probably a more of a cohesive experience for, um, you know, fellow officers. I think you probably bond better that way. And you, and I think that's why they could probably make it a little bit shorter because you, you just get more done. Well, yeah. Like, so we were there, our classes ran from eight 30 to four 30 every day and you had four, uh, 75 minute classes and a lunch break. So, I mean, it, you, you were living and breathing policing, which essentially, you know, for how, um, you know, how broad of, um, experiences you're going to face on the job. It's, it's still not enough. You still, you leave, you leave police college and you're still like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like what are, what's reasonable grounds mean? Like you, you really don't know until you get on the job, but it kind of, it gives you a good foundation and it truly does kind of teach you how to, you know, walk like a cop, drive a police vehicle. Um, the shooting is great. You get, you shooting your gun, uh, almost every day, which was so cool. That was oh, probably great. the best part of police college. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause that's something lacking in Massachusetts. So really, um, we did not do a lot of range. I mean, like two weeks total out of 22 or something. Um, oh, wow. No, but, we had, we had firearms, uh, I think two, sometimes three times a week. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Like you said, when you graduate Academy, there is, um, you do, you feel so like out of place kind of, and you're being trained. And like, I still remember the feeling of, um, like putting your hands on someone like forcefully, like when it's time to stop talking and time for that person to comply, that is, that's the weirdest moment. I think when you're a young officer where you're with a senior officer, you're being trained and they make the decision. I'm not listening to this guy anymore. We have enough. Let's take him. And it, and it's just time to grab someone. That is the heart that, that is a strange to me anyways. That was the strangest thing to get used to as from going not a cop to being someone who can take someone's freedom. I mean, that just to me was like, whoa, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's it's weird too, because I know like from being a former teacher, I was very used to dealing with conflict and very used, you know, going to a loud classroom and handling kind of that scene. And I mean, that's, that's a lot of policing is you're just dealing with, you know, conflicts and people that are rowdy and out of hand and getting them calm. But then to take that next level and go, okay, you know, this has gone from, uh, you know, a dispute to, you know, you're, this person is, you know, um, causing, causing a scene or causing a disturbance and I've got grounds to arrest them. And it's like, Oh, like, okay, now I actually have to act. And I would say that was just like you said, one of the weirdest things to get used to because you're literally taking someone's freedom and you're allowed to, when you have the, the yeah. grounds, it, it's certainly weird. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I always, I found that once you get the hang of it, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but you do see people that, um, 
that don't ever get, uh, or they they never get, they never get rid of their sheepishness. If you know what I mean? Like they're, you kind of, there's always, you always, you always know a cop or work with a cop. That's kind <laughs> of like that cop. Who's kind of like always just a little bit slow on taking care of business. If you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Or like the, Oh no, we don't have grounds yet. And it's like, no, we had grounds like as soon as we got here, but okay. What's this all about? Let's keep talking. That was <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Just, just, just say sorry. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Is I have to ask you, is Canuck, um, uh, offensive term or not? <laughs> no, Canuck is just Can- like, I, I guess it, it would be kind of like how Americans are sometimes Yankees. referred to as Yankees, yeah. but I would say Canuck is probably more, more common than calling Americans Yankees. I, I don't know what to call Americans anymore without offending them. So I just, <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> so soft. Oh yeah. my God. It's so, it is so crazy right down here, down here. Em. It's like, um, uh, it's even too much for a lot of, um, a lot of the people on the far left. They're like, you know, they're starting to get, um, they're starting to get canceled themselves. And they're like, well, what have we started here? This is nothing can exist. Let's get rid of Hamilton. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's take off Paw Patrol, like live PD. Like it, it's just oh, insane yeah. to me. I don't know why we've gotten to a point where we have to think that just like we're, we're, everybody is acting off of feelings instead of logic. And that's causing so many problems that, I don't even know how, like, I, I don't know. I, like I lived in the States for five years when I was in university. Um, and I, I, I loved it, but I could just never live down there. I, I had it. I don't know. I always felt, um, a sense of like restlessness or like just kind of a weary feeling that you guys just, you just never know what could happen. Like people are carrying guns everywhere. People who certainly should not be carrying guns. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't know how, I don't know how you guys are going to recover. And I, I hope that you do. I love coming to the States. I love visiting. I love, you know, a lot of things that you guys are about the, the pride, you know, before all this happened. And I hope that, that something, something major changes or some, some kind of resolution arises from this. But I, I, I don't think that uh, it's going to happen anytime soon. It seems like the, the left is, you know, only screaming their side and not wanting to listen. And I think the right is just too afraid to say anything right now. So I know it's so weird. And I, I mean, I, the polar opposite of you, the guns make me feel better. <laughs> I think that's just what we're raised with. Um, yeah. But I remember going to, um, I dated a girl from Canada back in the day, probably almost 20 years ago now, but I used to go up to, um, New Brunswick and you're the Bay of Fundy, St. John, you know, St. John. Oh yeah. 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 Um, man, it was a good time. It just good people, uh, really like, um, like one of our, one of her friend's husbands was a longshoreman. Her dad was a longshoreman. Her, her best friend's dad was the fire chief of, uh, Musquash. And they were just like, like really solid, um, salt of the earth people. They were just great, great folks. I remember going down to the fire department one night the chief was like, Hey, come with me. We'll go for a ride in the truck, you know, whatever. I'm like, Oh, great. So we go in this truck and we go down to the fire department and because it's in their district, they have a nuclear power plant. The power plant is required to give them so much money um, because they're the responding agency, but it's a volunteer fire department. So um, there's all these young, young men there um, setting up obstacle courses, smoking out different rooms in the building. <laughs> they're drinking beers, but they're training, you know, it was just was like, this is like really cool. I like up here. <laughs> yeah, the east the east coast people are just the kindest people in the world. They'll give you the shirt off their back. They'll like they that still in 2020 they leave their doors unlocked. They leave their key and their ignition in their car. Like they're just the sweetest people in the world. <laughs> they're so nice. So I was 
with my family. One more quick story, and then I've, I've got to get to these questions. I just, <laughs> I just love Canada, damn it. Uh, I took our, we took our fifth wheel camper three or four years ago up to through Truro into Nova Scotia, and um, on the way there, something broke the under laminate of the trailer. Oh, oh, the one of our holding tanks broke out and smashed all over the ground. It was it was like gray water, so it wasn't totally disgusting, but um. And there was wires hanging. I couldn't tow the thing. So I just pulled over to this tiny garage in Truro, Canada. And um, these guys ran out. And the this guy pulled all of his guys off the two lifts at this little mom and pop garage. And they fixed my camper. I was just like, guys, oh, I'm desperate. Wow. I, I'm like, I'm here with my two kids, my wife. Like, they're, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do. We're in the middle of nowhere, by the way. And, um, yeah, he, he the, the guy took come-along straps from Walmart, which he drove like 40 minutes to get him for a project at his own house. And he used them on my camper to put it all back together. Oh, wow. And I was like, geez. And he goes, well, like, well, you know, we'd like to think this is how it would be if this happened uh, down in the States. I'm like, sure it would. Uh, be. <laughs> if you, if you, you can think that. Yeah. Uh, it was just so, so kind, so amazing. And, you know, I had to force the owner to take money. Like the guys yeah, wouldn't do they, it. So yeah, I was like, I was like, just right. take this money and give it to him because this is ridiculous. But, um, yeah, that's just one of many stories I have of Canadian kindness. Just, just great. Should, should have bought him a, should have bought him a two, four. <laughs> yeah. I should have bought him a two, four. What was I thinking? <laughs> All right. Um, M let's get into it. Let's, let's get, uh, let's get some of your experiences here. Um, I've had fun reminiscing on these, so it's been a while since I've revisited some of these stories. I know, and I noticed that you I didn't get it out to you quick enough. You typed them all out, and I was like, oh, damn. Oh, it's a, yeah, I just, I didn't know if, because I'm thinking, you know, if they're not good stories, it's probably not going to want me in the podcast, so I thought I'll get into them, because it was just fun kind of revisiting all those little details. No, it's great. I love it. And you're not the only one, because if, if I don't put that warning in with their initial email, that's usually what happens, so I apologize for all <laughs> the extra effort, but... um, No uh, worries. Yeah, let's, uh, can you tell us about the first hot call you responded to as a, as a beat cop? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I I was actually at a collision with uh, with my partner at the time, and uh, we were just finishing up the paperwork. It was just kind of just right outside downtown, and uh, we were at a collision, and I was just giving the guy his ticket. And then I could hear this, like, screaming, and it, it sounded kind of like a domestic, and I wasn't really sure what was going on. So my partner was like, I'm going to go in the cruiser and look at the screen and see what's going on. And I was like, I'm just going to walk around the corner and go go see. So I'm approaching like a house and I see all these people, like probably 10 people um, up, like standing up against the house. And I see them like kind of yelling and they've got the hands going. And as I'm walking closer, I see this one like teenage looking girl standing in the middle of the lawn and she's facing them and she's yelling and they're yelling and it was a very amped up situation. So I pulled my taser out and I just had it at my side as I was walking up because I wasn't sure what the yelling was about. And as I approached, just as I turned square, just as I was square with her, she turned to me and she had her hand up to her neck and she had a knife in her hand. And she had this, like the blade up against her neck and there was blood all over her wrist and blood all up her forearm. And I, this was probably the first real dynamic situation I've been in. And they tell you in your training that, you know, they tell you about auditory exclusion. I'm sure you've been told that you were told that in your training and tunnel yeah. vision. I could not have heard a stampede if it was behind me. I couldn't believe the auditory exclusion that I was experiencing. And I'm 
my training kicked in and I'm yelling, you know, drop the knife, drop the knife. You don't want to do this. I'm going to help you just put down the knife. Thankfully she drops the knife. It was like, I, I blinked and all of a sudden my, we had backup there. They had her apprehended. They had her in handcuffs, but it was like, I didn't hear anything at that time. All that happened was my training just kicked in and I'm just yelling, you know, drop the knife, drop the knife. And I mean, it, it, it ended fine. She ended up at the hospital. She was apprehended. She got the help she needed. It was a major mental health crisis, but I couldn't like, they, they teach you about auditory exclusion and you're like, oh, there's no way that I won't be able to hear something. Yeah. I didn't hear a damn thing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. A lot of officers say that about like gunfire, anything that happens, they're like, they don't even remember hearing it. It's just, they're yeah. just, yeah. just zoomed it, in. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. And like, thankfully, um, you know, I like we, I had my taser pointed at her. I mean, it wasn't like, I, I know knife calls typically, you know, you do have every authority to pull your gun, but she had all these people behind her there. It was not this, it was not a, you know, it was not a, uh, she was not going to be, she wasn't assaultive to me at all. It was clearly a mental health crisis and the taser was more or less to stop her from doing anything to herself. But, uh, thankfully she dropped the knife and it was taken care of, but it was definitely, uh, probably one of the hotter calls that I can recall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that about the, cause that is kind of the, what you get trained on in the academy. It's like they're down here anyways, it's a 21 foot rule. If someone has a knife, um, out within 21 feet of you, they say that they can, they can pretty much get to you and get that knife in you by the time you're drawing, by the time you're firing yeah. your first rounds, which yeah. is, you know, that's how we train. And I'm sure that's how you trained, but, um, it's so much, like you said, that word dynamic, it's so much more dynamic when you get there, when there's so much more involved and same as you. Um, I had calls with people with knives, um, where we ended up muckling them and firearms didn't come out. We had, I tasered out on one, almost tased a woman and same thing though. Cause it was like, you know, um, once you lose, once you skin that smoke wagon, now it's out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, like you're saying, it was a young lady. There was all those people behind her. So that sounds like you, you instinctively handled it right. I, I guess, man, it was, uh, like I said, my first kind of hot call and you, you go through these calls in your training and you go through scenarios and stuff and they get you pretty amped up in police college. They do a great job of, you know, getting your, getting everything heightened, but you don't experience the auditory. You can't, you can't fake or replicate auditory exclusion or tunnel vision. Like that's a, that's a, you know, that's a a game time. (laughs) That's a game time characteristic. So. Absolutely. I, I, I've been to a few bad wrecks. Um, and I, I just have holes in my memory. (laughs) Like they're just holes uh, of just horrible things. I know I saw, and I try to remember what it will look like. And then I know it's, there are holes because I remember seeing pictures later that a detective had and I was like, Whoa, Oh yeah. Now I remember that awful feeling, but I think our bodies just have a way of like picking and choosing, you know, kind of. Oh, definitely. Blocking I think it, things. Yeah. For our well being, I would say. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's why you got to manage that stress. Otherwise it can be, you know, like running your body on, on nitro or whatever. Oh, definitely. All right. Well, that is a hot call. That's a very hot first call. Um, <laughs> Can you describe a, a strange or most bizarre call you dealt with? Yeah, so uh, I think I had two for this, or maybe yeah, I do have two for this. Um, Let it rip. The first, yeah, the first one was uh, I would say more bizarre. So we went to a fire and uh, not knocking the fire department, but we were there first, um, <laughs> and it was a it was a major house fire, and uh, you don't see too many of those anymore. I think you know, with technology and just, you know, better quality appliances. Um, but this was a, this was a burner. And, uh, so we got there, we were, me and my partner were first on scene 
And I could see in the front doorway, um, like an, an older lady with a walker trying to get out. So I run up and I get her out. Like I didn't go, there was, it was not that risky. She was in the doorway. I got her out and her two, um, older, uh, adult sons were in there with her as well. And, uh, talking to them and I'm talking to the one son, they're both in like their fifties. She's in her eighties. And, uh, the one son had said, Oh, you know, I, I fell asleep downstairs with a, with a cigarette in my mouth and, I can't believe this happened. He was super upset and like total accident. So anyway, um, a week later we get a call, um, to this apartment building and, uh, it was a jumper. It was a suicide. And so we get there and, uh, I, I see the body on the ground and, uh, fire was actually there as well. And they were, they were doing chest compressions. The guy was, he was obviously, uh, he was very dead by the time we got there. And, uh, so I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, this guy looks familiar. And I'm like, like the, there's no way like I know this person. So I'm looking at him and then somebody else shows up to the scene and I look over and I'm like, Oh my God, those are the two brothers from that fire last week. So I'm looking at the brother and the guy that jumped was the guy that fell asleep with a cigarette in his mouth. And I'm like, Holy crap. So I'm talking to the brother and he is just devastated. And he's like, I, he's like, I should have known. I can't believe this. He was clearly in shock. And I, I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean? I should have known. And he said, well, we've been staying at this apartment. That's my sister's apartment. She lives in a one bedroom and me and my brother and my mom were staying with her. And, you know, we've been, you know, walking on, walking on each other and stepping on each other's toes. And we've been making some pretty, you know, rude comments to him about, you know, that this was his fault. And he said, I, he said, I think this, this, you know, this did it, did him in. And I was like, wow, that the, the sequence of events in that, it's like (laughs) nothing you've ever seen. You can't make that up. You dick! You killed your brother. Oh <laughs> yeah, you, you 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 pushed him over the edge. Well, but if that show um that show with Canadians isn't true, they're very good at ball busting. So obviously, um, oh yeah. What was that, what is that show that uh I can barely watch it around my family because it's so bad, like swearing wise. Oh, which oh god, he's got I don't German even know which shepherds. One. He fights everybody in town. He's Canadian. Not Trailer Park Boys. No, but I have that on DVD. <laughs> okay. Um, um, I can, People know what I'm talking about. It, it's the, the name of the show is the name of the town. Um, oh, it's, I, I'm a bad Canadian right now. I should know this. Oh, you should know this for sure. Um, oh. Oh, Longfellow? No. Oh, man. How could I? How can you Google that to make this? It's like one of those things that's hard to Google. Um, Canadian show? <laughs> yeah. Um, I that's I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, He's got short hair. He fist fights everybody. Um, I literally just typed in Canadian show and like 45 shows should, here, of course. All right. Well, I'll just drop it then. Um, this guy <laughs> jumped. You said how? From what? How high? It was uh, it was a fifth floor balcony, and actually he uh, he jumped and he landed on grass. And to be honest, it was probably the this is going to sound weird, but police people understand probably the best dead body I've seen. The best. Um, he just, he landed on his back. There was no blood. There was no, there was nothing. It, like he looked like how dead people look in a casket in a funeral. Oh, wow. He just like shocked his insides to death or I, whatever. Yeah, I think so. Cause there, yeah, there was no, um, no sploosh, no fluids coming out. It was, uh, cause I mean, we've all, every police officer has seen absolutely disgusting dead bodies. He's like a true Canadian. He died like super politely. <laughs> yeah, didn't, just want, didn't to want to bother anybody. anybody. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, that's uh, the epitome of uh, Canadian, I guess. <laughs> that's great. 
that's not great, but you know. What I mean. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The show was Letter Kenny. Letter Kenny. Okay, yes, that is. Yeah, that's a that's a popular one. Yeah, that's really it's a really good show. It's really um, super inappropriate though. So I have like, yeah. three kids, so it's nearly impossible. Yeah, Canadians, we do it. We have great sense of humor, and uh, we we can take chirps with the best of them. I don't know if you guys call them chirps. We just, like when you make fun of your friends. No, that's amazing though. Chirps. <laughs> Chirp. Yeah. <laughs> I live with yeah. um. I lived with a Canadian um, from New St. John for a summer. And I wish I wrote down everything he said, because he was just hilarious. <laughs> he was just like, he did, he knew all the, he knew all your, your magic quips. Yeah. We have our own vocabulary up here. It's actually, it's funny. There's uh you'll see like skits on TV and stuff that they, they make fun of Canadians. And uh, I think there's a, there's a song called, or a YouTube video called uh, going for a rip. Yes. And that's like a, a very Canadian going out yes. for a rip, bud. Like that's a big Canadian thing. Going for a rip. I've seen that video. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. good. Um, my second bizarre one, and this was a, this was really odd too. So um, we get a call from this female saying that uh, her roommate uh, has, uh, she wanted her roommate checked on because she was staying with him. And she, I guess she had just, they got into a bit of an argument. She decided she was going to move out. Um, and she just wanted to go back and get her stuff, but he had locked the door and she couldn't get in. She said, my key won't work. Like, I don't know what he did, but like, I can't get in. And she said, he's not answering my phone calls. He hasn't answered my calls for the last, I think two days, she said. And, uh, she said, I'm a bit worried about him because, you know, he does go through depression. He's got uh, painkillers for his, his back. And he, uh, she said, I don't know if maybe he's taken too many, he's overdosed. So we get there and, uh, this is a really crappy uh, apartment and it's at the top of a flight of stairs. But the way that the stairs are, it's uh, the door is at the very top of the stairs and there's no like landing. So bit of a safety hazard in my opinion, but we're trying to get in and we're knocking on the door. This guy's not answering. We're doing, you know, loud knocks, call outs. He's not answering. Um, and I was, my sergeant was there with me and uh, I was, I was quite new at the time and, uh, he, he kind of looked at me and he goes, you think we have grounds here to uh, breach the door? I kind of looked at him and I'm like, hell yeah, we do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I never breached a door before. And I'm like, this is wicked. Let's do it. So uh, I'm looking at this door and uh, I have, you know, the one thing about breaching a door, you know, with your shoulder or with a kick is that you need a little bit of clearance to mm. get that momentum. <laughs> and I'm at the top of a staircase and there's no landing. There's no room. I'm literally standing on a step below this door trying to, to hoof it in with my shoulder. And I'm giving it, you know, I'm, I'm giving her in this door and I'm, you know, hoofing as hard as I can. I finally end up getting in, but the way that the door cracked open, um, it cracked in three different pieces. And when it opened, we actually saw that this guy had put in like six, I think they were like four or five inch screws between the frame and the actual door. So even if you unlocked it, you couldn't open it. Wow. Yeah. I, and I don't know why, I don't know why he did that. Um, I, I don't know if he got pissed at the girl that was staying with him, but, uh, so we breached this door and I'm like the entire city would have heard this door open cause it cracked like, you know, like super loud and we get in and buddy's just sleeping in his bed. Like didn't hear any of this. I don't know what kind <laughs> of meds he was on, but we go in and I, I shake him. Cause I'm like, is this guy dead? Like what, what yeah. is going on here? Um, so we wake him up and he was, you know, completely confused, but, uh, we ended up getting her things back. It was all good. But the best part about this is that we go back out to the car and I parked our cruiser, um, along this, the, along a curb. And there was a, uh, 
like a, a marked off spot, like a marked off line that said where you can't park past. And the very tip of my cruiser was touching that line. Um, and you know how the public is about police. So this guy walking by um, looks at me and he points down at the line. And I was like, sir, we're here for, for a police matter. And he looks at me and he goes, you're a two dick mouth bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I looked at my sergeant and I was like, that might be the best name I've ever heard. Wow. What a jerk. Talk about like, have you been called anything worse than that? I don't think anyone's ever been called anything worse than that on the job. I don't even know what it means. It's a two dick mouthed <laughs> bitch. Is that what he said? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's gone down on our shift. I think is the best name insult. <laughs> Because <laughs> you parked your cruiser like a little bit over the line. Yep, exactly. And you know we're the police and we're awful. So wow, yeah, people. Yeah, are, people are crazy. And like, I mean, as a female officer, I get called everything under the sun, and I really don't care. Like, you look at the source, and you're like, okay, I, you know, that's fine. If it makes you feel better to call me the c word or whatever, some other disgusting word. But that was, I was like, that's like that's creative. And I think he was a homeless man. <laughs> oh, well, that makes more sense. Okay, so there might have been maybe some. Mental ill. How do that? How do the homeless people are surviving in Canada? It's so damn cold. I well, you know what? It's funny. So um, we have very similar weather weather where I am to Buffalo. Okay. And like and like Pennsylvania, like where I went to school, it was the same thing. We get the we get the the effects and the extremes of all the seasons. So we're in the middle of an absolute heat wave right now. Like it's oh god, I don't know what the Fahrenheit would be probably not, I'm guessing nineties. Um, but it has been like mercilessly hot the mm-hmm. last week. Um, but then our winters do get very, very cold. Um, not Montreal cold. Montreal is disgusting. Yeah. The place, but it gets cold. cold. It's yeah, it's, it's Pennsylvania cold here in the winters. Um, I guess we just get used to it. I don't know. They always joke that Canadians love talking about the weather and I, I say it's true. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not much different than new England, you know, Boston area, get Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. It gets, I mean, they, they can't really, um, they can't really uh, brag about their weather. I mean, it's it's horrifically cold there in the winter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of kind of similar here. All right. Sorry, I was just. Um, I'm like having my brain is freezing because my son, he's six years old, is like walked up, walked up behind me and had this big question for me. And I was like <laughs> pointing to the microphone. Um, all right. So I had a question for you about, um, I, you know. You know this is coming because I'm an American. I have a question for you about guns. <laughs> okay. Um, in Canada, the way I understood it, um, you guys are armed, but you leave. Do you leave your gun at the station? Like after shift? Yeah. Yes. You get so you guys don't have access to your weapons off duty. So we do, but the kind of the the rule and kind of the yeah, I guess it's the rule is that if you do bring your gun home you have to have a um like a um a locked like a secured storage um box for it and it has to be secured to your like either floor or wall it, it can't just be like a gun case it has to be like something that is like affixed to you know your floor um or your wall in your closet or something so it's it's literally just not worth the trouble and I don't even, I can't even imagine if somebody used their, their service, uh, firearm outside of work, it it wouldn't be very good. Oh, you think they would go for their job? Oh, I, I would guarantee it. Yeah. Can you, can you carry concealed off duty or just no, 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 you can't, you can't have a, uh, when you are transporting any kind of firearm here in, uh, 
in Canada, you have to have it, um, it has to be like locked in a, in a case and it has to be, uh, I, I want to say, um, it can't have ammo in it and it's got to have a trigger lock on it. I'm don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that's the, the transport rules. Okay. So that they, they go same for police personnel. So like when you're, when you're off duty, do you have police authority? Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can still act. Um, you know, if you come at same thing, like if you come across someone that's, you know, stealing or someone that's assaulting someone or whatever, you can, uh, you can certainly act as a police officer. You're kind of a police officer all the time, but, uh, that's so, you just don't have your firearm. so banged up to me. They do that to you guys. Cause I mean, <laughs> the one thing that George W. Bush did that I really liked was he made this thing called LEOSA law enforcement officer safety act in America where police officers on or off duty can carry their weapons concealed anywhere in the country without a permit. As long as, oh, you, wow. as, long as you have a badge in a department ID. And the idea was that the rise of terrorism and active shooters and stuff like that was that, oh, you know, totally. good guys with guns is, is a good thing. And, um, Geez, in Canada, I mean, the same rule would apply. I mean, you guys have a lot less gun violence because there's less guns and stuff, but still a cop with a gun is still a good thing. You're trained, you know, you're, you've been vetted the whole deal. Yeah, I think they, I think from, and this is only opinion. I think the risk versus reward is probably just, um, it doesn't, it's not worth it. I would say, because I mean, if you know, police officers have their guns all the time, they might become targets. That that would be my assumption just because, you know, there are not as many guns here. But the one thing is that certainly our, um, the guns that are, you know, on the streets here are in very bad hands. And we do, we've, like, I think our region has had more shootings this year than I think we've ever had. Um, and it's just, and again, like, we're a service uh, about an hour west of Toronto. And tr- Toronto is kind of the hub of, you know, all gun violence. But it kind of makes its way up the highway here. We have a, a major highway here called the 401 and it's um, comparable to your highways in like, you know, Los Angeles, um, mm. you know, Phoenix, it's, it's a large highway and it goes, runs east, west. And we get a lot of uh, gun violence and gang violence that comes from Toronto up our way. Sure. Yeah. yeah you guys carry, um, could you carry concealed to and from work or still have to be unloaded and secured container? It would still, yeah, I would still have to be unloaded and everything like that. Unless it was like, unless I, for some reason, like, so, for example, like, for some people, like, I w- I'll work a lot of overtime. So, if I was to bring my uniform home, um, that would be the only real reason that I would be carrying my, my firearm on me. And it would obviously be loaded. Um, but so, I would be going to and from the place where right. I was working. So, they basically don't want you acting off-duty as police officers. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say. I mean, I sure as hell wouldn't. If there, if I couldn't. We, yeah, we have a we have a much higher um, like we have, and this is where I don't really understand um, policing in the states is that in Ontario here we have our special investigation special investigation units or SIU, mm-hmm. and they oversee any um, any incident where either a police officer has um, d- caused bodily harm to a, a civilian or, um, a police officer, anytime a police officer, um, shoots someone, the SIU is invoked and they will do their own investigation as opposed to our own service doing the investigations. So they are some, they're, they're known as the, you know, the province's watchdog. I know they're not known to be, um, big fans of police and they seem to come out with, uh, I guess they're, their investigations are not always favorable. Um, oh, really? So they're not like they're here. not like sworn officers themselves. It's like a separate. 
It's a separate agency. Civilian yeah. agency that investigates. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of them are are former cops, but some of them are former very disgruntled cops. At least that's kind of the 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 thought process or the way that people think here. So yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a terrible idea. I mean, civilian oversight is not always bad, but that situation sounds like it could be um, kind of unfortunate for you guys. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's a civilian agency. That I mean, you'd be you'd be lying if you said that you you know if if they were oblivious to what's going on in the world right now. And I mean, nobody's in favor of cops that are you know engaging in 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 force against civilians right now, even if it is warranted. Right. Um, but just, it's it's unfortunate the times that we're in right now. Um, I think anything police do is not seen as favorable, and it's very frustrating. Yeah, it, re- it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, down here in the states, they're talking about um, New York has got a bill on the floor to um, remove protection from the police for liability. So their police will have to purchase their own um, insurance policies for liability. I mean, how much is that policy going to cost? Like, oh, what do you do for? Uh, well, I take people's freedom away. I wrestle people. <laughs> uh, I have a gun. I could shoot someone. Um, oh my god! Like who? The the thing that sucks is we're we're like me, the citizens are going to suffer because I like the police. I like but, having yeah, it, the yeah, police around. It's, like, yeah, it's, it's your it's your normal everyday hardworking nose to the ground people that are that are going to end up you know paying for this because you're going to get the good officers that are like you know what this isn't worth it. I'm going to go back to being an accountant or I'm going to go drive a truck for a living. It's just not yeah. worth it. It sucks. Yeah, I work. Um, I mean, I've almost went back into police work uh, a couple years ago. Um, I had an offer on the table and I didn't take it. And right now I'm in a couple of years ago, it wasn't nearly as bad as it is right now. Um, <laughs> and now I work for, I'm an SIU investigator for an insurance company and it's fantastic. I have a take home car. Uh, I work from home. I make my own hours. I've scheduled my own appointments and it pays way better. So it's like, Oh yeah. And it's way safer. So it's like, you know, I still have to go to like sell central and stuff, but I'm not the five Oh, you know what I mean? I can always just, yeah. I just wear sneakers and I, <laughs> and I, I, I run <laughs> if I have to, Yeah, but, um, well, you guys, your police are not paid that well down there. Are they? Um, it depends. It's all very regional. Like you might run into officers in Alabama that make like 35 grand or 30 grand where oh. LAPD in a couple of years, you're in, you're at 80, you know? Okay. I mean, yeah. LA, I think maybe five years in you're close, you're 80, same with New York, 80 or higher. Um, okay. But there's a lot of attrition with that too. People don't make five years, you know? Yeah. Wow. I think they start, I think, I think they start at like 65 or some 69. Okay. So it's not, but the cost of living in in LA is outrageous. Well, it's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they should be, there, there is agencies here, um, Beverly Hills and Santa Barbara and some other, the other ones that start at like 95 or a hundred patrol. Oh, wow. But I mean, then you're looking at like your, your cost of living, like you're like, I can't even imagine the housing there. Oh yeah. They, 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 um, they can't have it in their charter that the officers have to live in town. I mean, you work for Beverly Hills PD, you (laughs) you live in, you you live 40 miles away, you know, it's just, yeah, that'd be a pretty cool job though. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, they have all, I mean, you've seen, um, Beverly Hill cop, I'm sure with Eddie Murphy, it's, they have all the best toys, you know, they, they have all the best, they, they look great and they pay, phenomenally but um so you think they take a little bit better care of you guys in Canada yeah I would say we're we're paid better like you're you're hitting that hundred thousand mark by yeah by year five okay um and then it just continues to go up from there um 
but yeah, and I mean, like we have our own, you know, police associations and we're, we're protected pretty well. Like we're, we're looked after, I would say, I mean, everyone's going to have their own, um, opinions and their own reasons to be disgruntled. But I, in terms of, you know, compensation and, you know, our overtime and, you know, if you get called out, we're, we're taken care of, I would say we're, we're very lucky in that regard, but it's, it's also hard hard work. So, I mean, it's deserving for sure. People will say that we're overpaid and, you know, they need to cut our budget, but I mean, what, what do you want to cut? Where, where do you want to take those numbers? Like yeah. nobody has solutions. Everybody just has complaints. Yeah. And what kind of cops do you want? You know, it's like you, <laughs> yeah. you're going to start paying these um, clearinghouse prices. You're going to get clearinghouse cops. You're going to get, you know, oh. you're not going to like how yeah. they handle you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Um, all right. Let's see here. Can you tell us the most intense or terrifying call you've been on? Yeah. So, and this was a, this one stuck out right away in my head. So I was actually working an overtime shift and, uh, I was partnered with, uh, someone who is this copper. He's, he's fun to work with. Cause he just, you know, those cops that just kind of have a nose for certain things. Yeah. Um, this, this guy's just got a, got a, a nose for absolute crap. So, uh, <laughs> we're driving around and uh, we're driving up the main, uh, the main drag in downtown where we work. And, uh, there's a sushi restaurant and I, it's like probably two o'clock in the morning and I see this car with its lights on and kind of the very back of the lot. And I'm like, Hey, let's pull in there and go, go see what this car's doing. Like obviously restaurants closed. There's no reason anybody should be back here. I was thinking, you know, we'd roll up on, you know, two people just being stupid in the car or doing drugs or whatever. So we get there and, uh, the guy is parked, um, facing the restaurant and, uh, we're like, Hey man, what's, what's going on? Why are you back here? And he says, Oh, we're just, pick- I'm just picking up uh, two of my buddies from here. Uh, they're just, you know, staying at this house and there's a house that, um, is right behind this, the sushi restaurant and it, it's backyard kind of backs onto this, this parking lot. And uh, it's a rooming house and, you know, a lot of drugs run in and out of there. So, you know, I had my guard up a little bit, kind of knowing that something could go down. And, um, as the driver's talking to us, you look at him and I'm like, this guy's like high as a kite and like weed is legal in Canada, but obviously not, not driving and being high. So, um, we're like, all right, like, can I just see your license, your ownership insurance? You know, you're technically you're trespassing. You're not supposed to be back here. Um, so he gives us his license and my partner runs him and it turns out there's a warrant for this guy's arrest. So obviously we don't tell him, but we just said, Hey man, do you mind stepping out of the car? We just got to chat with you for a minute. And, uh, he starts to reverse the car and we're like, no, no, you know, stop the car, stop the car. <laughs> yeah. Like y- you get squirrely as soon as someone doesn't, you know, doesn't mm. listen to you especially when they're in a car, when they're in a car. So, uh, he said, Oh, I, I thought you told me to park. And he's, you know, he's kind of smiling and I'm on the driver's side and my partner is on the passenger side. And, uh, so we stopped the car and I was like, Hey man, just step out for a second. And as soon as I said that he revs the engine and flies out of this parking lot. And I mean, me and my partner were his windows. Like we were probably within two feet of getting hit and it was, probably the most terrifying moment on the job because I've never been that close to being hit before. Um, so he takes off and my partner goes running after the car to see which way he went. I hop in the cruiser and drive around the corner to see if I can see it. And, uh, I see his two, these two buddies that he had picked up, they were walking down the street. So I get out of my car, I get them at taser point and I, you know, I'm saying, don't move, don't move. Cause I had no idea why, why they drove off. Like I had no clue what was, you know, what their deal was. And, they had said, oh, you know, he, he said he'd give us a ride somewhere. Like, we're not friends with this guy. Like, I don't know why he did that. Like, we told him to stop. So they were fine. But uh, we wanted to figure out where, where Buddy went. So we had his license and uh, we had his address. And the car was registered to his mom. 
So we went to his mom's address and sure enough, the car is there in the parking lot and uh, we're like, perfect. And engine's still warm. So we've got all of our grounds at this point. I mean, we've got every, every, you know, driving infraction on this guy at this point, um, with a possible, um, impaired by drug charge as well. So we knock on the door and his mom comes to the door and, uh, we said, you know, is, is so-and-so in here? And she said, no. And we looked at her and I said, listen, ma'am, like, I know he's here. Like, can you just get him to come to the door? We need to talk to him about a traffic, about a traffic stop. And she says, hold on. So she goes in the house and comes back probably like two minutes later. And, uh, she says, yeah, no, he's not here. And then she puts her hand up to her mouth and whispers to us and goes, he's hiding under the desk. And we're oh, like, what the no. hell? Oh. So we go, we go in and we go into the living room and sure enough, this guy is curled up under this desk, like a baby. <laughs> So we got him out and uh, I think we actually had him out at gunpoint at that point because I mean, we didn't, we just didn't know what we were facing. Um, but he, like he came out, he ended up being, uh, impaired by drug and like a suspended driver warrant for his arrest, like probably 10 charges on this guy at that point. But, uh, just the, the adrenaline dump after, after that call, just with him driving off and just cause it, it was honestly the last thing I expected. And it was a good, a good learning point because now, you know, that's just kind of what I anticipate every, every traffic stop at this point. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a good one. Now, when you guys in Canada, if you go to the door and she persisted, or even if you could, um, see him in there, would you guys be able to go in? So if I, if we could see him in there, um, we would have, we would have to write up what's called a Feeney warrant. So meaning that we do know that he's in there and we need the judicial authority to actually go in. Right. Um, so either somebody would go and type it up. It, it's a real pain in the ass. Um, so but the fact it's a that good, the mom was there to say, come in is beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. So she, yeah, she gave, yeah, she gave us, uh, great. you know, she gave us the entry, but uh, if, if we didn't see him in there, even though the car was there, the engine was hot. If she would have said, no, he's not in there. We would have had, we wouldn't have been able to go in. Do the old, uh, just come to the door. I just need to talk to you. Just need to talk to you. And just pull him outside. <laughs> oh, you're outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've, you've, you've gone over the barrier. Yep. Exactly. Shouldn't have come out here. What were you yep, thinking? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I noticed that you called him, uh, were now it's odd that two people in your stories would be named buddy. <laughs> Is this another Canadian thing? I, I think so. Yeah. It's usually, well, I mean, I, the, it's usually, shithead or whatever, but I try to be a little more proper. So buddy is typically the, uh, the go-to for us. Gotcha. I love it. <laughs> what do you, why, what do you guys say? Um, if you're not going to name, if you're just going to probably like, uh, I don't know, dude. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Dude's another one, but yeah, buddy, buddy and bud are very big Canadian terms. I don't know. I don't think those are used as much in the States. I don't remember people using them as much in the States when I was down there. You guys use wicked though. I noticed. Wicked a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, did. I, I got called out on that a lot when I was down there too. Cause we used, I got called out on a lot in, um, cause Massachusetts, we use wicked a lot too. But, um, if you venture too far outside new England, then, you know, they think it's odd. It just means like really wicked. Yeah. Yeah. Americans use awesome a lot, which I found too. Like aw- everything is awesome. Every, every word is awesome and it gets used a lot, which I find really funny. Yeah, it's really weird, and we're like not self-aware at all. Because um, <clears throat> I just responding in text messages, and because of the podcast, I get tons of uh, messages, and like I'll be like, "Is this the third time I'm putting the word awesome to someone?" Awesome. Like, oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's like, is it awesome? Because yeah. awesome, if you look at the definition, is like a really big, amazing, really thing. great, amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? like the power of God is awesome. Yeah. Or just yeah. like I'll see you later. Awesome. Same awesome. Thing. Same idea. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. Um. Now, can you give us a, um, 
positive or, or heartwarming situation or do you have anything like that? Um, this is a tough one and I don't know. I hope this doesn't reflect on me. I, I just feel like, uh, I can't really think of anything super heartwarming. I mean, you get those little moments like, you know, where people are just super excited to see you or you get, you know, the waves from the kids, that stuff's sure. really nice, but it's actually funny. So a couple of weeks ago I was pulling up to an intersection in the cruiser and, uh, there was a guy in a pickup truck beside me and I could hear him listening to a Ben Shapiro podcast. <laughs> and no, I love Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Um, I don't know, unpopular opinion maybe, but I, I really enjoy uh, how pro police he is and just how much of a realist he is. But anyway, um, yeah, so I look over, voice. yeah, exactly. So I look over at the guy and I said, are you listening to Ben Shapiro? And he goes, fuck yeah. And I love you police. And I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. It really made my day because I just, you know, we're surrounded. Like we've got this one guy that walks in front of our police division almost every night with an ACAB sign just on, on, on cardboard. And he just walks in front of our division. And every time the cruisers drive in, he just like holds the sign up and waves it. And I'm like, do you not have anything better to do? Yeah. Lest you forget you're a bastard. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Cause I wasn't, I, I forgot that all cops are bastards. Thank you for reminding me. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. What must, is this guy mentally deranged or is he like, does he really think he's um, making a point? I'll let you answer that. Right, yeah, I was going to say, what kind of horrible life are you leading that that is, what, that is your everyday activity? Yeah, we, and I mean, we, like, in our, our city, we have a pretty uh, pretty big homeless population, and they're, uh, like, we, fentanyl is a huge problem in our city. Like, last summer, I think, we were probably getting an overdose call a day, mm. um, and it's it's pretty rampant where we are, uh, fentanyl and meth, so, um I mean, it's, it just, it, obviously it fries everybody's brains, but our homeless population is certainly plagued by those addictions. So. Yeah, that's, those are nasty drugs and they, they really produce nasty humans to deal with as well. Yeah. And I mean, you like, it, it's hard when they're high too, because I mean, like I, I'm, I'm definitely not above these people and I don't go out thinking that I am. And I, I love talking to the homeless, especially the ones that like the homeless guys that are just like, you know what? Like I, you know, I, I screwed up my life a long time ago well, and here and I you, am. And you do own a, you live in a house, right? Yeah. You're just a <laughs> yes, little exactly. above them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I like to, I like, I, I don't like to, you know, go out and act like I'm better than no, them I just because, totally. you know, my life had, I had better opportunities and whatever, but sure. uh, no, there's a, there's a couple homeless people that are my, uh, I call them my favorite. I, like if I if I see them on the street, I'll go buy them a, a nice cap from Timmy's or whatever, and uh, they they appreciate that. And it's nice to you know sit and shoot the shit with them when they're when they're not high. Um, and you know you'll t- typically they remember that. And I have a pair of, like in the when the sun's out, I'll wear my I have a pair of pink Oakley sunglasses, and I like to wear them because everybody always remembers me as the officer with the pink Oakley sunglasses. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, and so it's uh, it's just a nice way for them to remember me and just kind of know that I'm I, I'm never going to be the one that really you know goes over and above to screw them over. If I have to arrest them, I have to arrest them. But it you know my mouth gets me out of a lot of situations that I think could get physical, but don't because I I like to think that I'm pretty good at at least de-escalating people or talking to them. So and hey, they're those are eyes on the street all the time. You might need them someday or you might need them. You might need their help someday. You might get attacked and they'll, they'll be nearby. You know, you never know. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, we have, you know, we have soup kitchens and we have big, uh, you know, homeless shelters and shit goes down pretty quickly in those. And yeah. uh, you're, you're way outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I noticed you said uh, Timmy's and we're talking Timmy Hortons here. Tim Hortons. Yeah. Sorry. Tim yeah. Hortons. Tim Hortons is uh, Dunkin staple Donuts in Canada. Of Canada. I, I, I like to think it's better than Duncan, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I don't think it is. I, I've only been to it once. <laughs> oh yeah, you so have. I'm you not got, judging you it your, fairly. Yeah, you gotta get your ice cap or your double double, and then you'll then you'll know. 
Got it. Got it. I'll write that down. Um, <laughs> double, double. Uh, what was I going to say? So, any interesting encounters with police before you were a cop? Um, actually, some of my, I think most of my police memories ironically, we're from when I was at school in the States. Um, I went to school in Pennsylvania and we had, uh, like university police that were there. And, uh, I remember one time me and my teammates were drinking at one of our teammates houses and all the 21 year olds went out to the bar. So of course the 19 and 20 year olds were drinking at the house. And, uh, I think we had a case of Natty Light or some disgusting cheap beer that we were drinking that night. And, uh, we were just drinking, shooting the shit, and we thought, for some reason, we thought it would be really funny to go out front, because one of our teammates had parked in front of the girl's house, and we thought it would be funny to go out and pick up the front of her car and kind of move it to sort of the middle of the road, so that when she came back, she was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> totally we just thought it'd be, it is funny. Yeah, just, just a stupid thing. So yeah. we do that, and, you know, Wait, we're how many, you thinking, picked up a car? How many of there were you? <laughs> there were, I think, four of us. We just picked it up from the front. It was like a little Toyota Corolla. We were okay. softball players, so we were, we were pretty strong. Yeah, um, but yeah, so we, uh, we thought it was hilarious. So we go back in and we're drinking our beer and we hear this really loud knock on the front door and this flashlight shines in and of course shines in right on the case of beer and it's the police and we're all freaking out because we're all like, we're all scholarship athletes. We, we're not troublemakers. We sure. are all terrified of the police just as most normal citizens are. They don't want to get in trouble. So, right. um, we hear them. We're like, Oh my God. So we're like, let's just pretend like we're not here. That's the smart thing to do. Don't move. Yeah. So, and then we're like, okay, let's, we'll just, we'll put the blanket over the beer and we're not going to move. Then all of a sudden we hear footsteps and this officer is in the house and we're like, what the hell? <laughs> wow. So we're freaking out. She's, and she's like, oh, the, uh, the storm, the storm door in the back just flew open in the wind. So we, uh, <laughs> we're just it. in here to, you know, and she says, oh, you guys, it smells like beer in here. And we're like, no, like there's, there's no beer in here. Like we're not drinking. And she's like, what's under that, uh, that towel? And of course we're like abiding. So we're telling her everything. And I'm Aww. looking back now. I'm like, man, she didn't even have a right to be in the house. Like, that was ballsy. But, yeah. Yeah. But I, of course I'm a dumb university student. I didn't know anything. So anyway, she, she, she knew you uh, were good kids. She knew what she was doing. I, right. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she, uh, she says, all I came here to do was try and figure out what idiot parked their car so poorly in the front of the, <laughs> the front of the house. And we're like, Oh my God. So she, uh, she ends up just saying, you know what, like she goes, I was going to write you guys all tickets for drinking, but she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take down all your phone numbers and, uh, going to connect you guys with the soup kitchen and get you guys to volunteer. So who gets the last laugh? We all give her fake phone numbers. None of us had to go volunteer. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's oh, funny. That is, yeah. Well, you're lucky she didn't come back there. Oh, what was she going to do? Bust in the door? Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Come in illegally again. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, we ended up being, it was all good, but no, that's about my, uh, my extent with, uh, the police. I was a pretty, pretty square kid. I always, like I grew up playing softball and, uh, that's where just all my time went. So I wasn't really, I wasn't the kid going out to bush parties, drinking and stuff like that. So yeah, sports, super important, super important. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. In the big cities too. It keeps lots of kids off the streets. Um, so, so did, did this story come up when you were interviewing to be a cop? I'm curious. It actually didn't. And I, and it wouldn't have been for not telling them, but I just don't think that there was a question that, that was around that. Cause it, like technically we didn't get in trouble. So it wasn't like, you know, have you been in trouble with the police? And I mean, I don't know. I still to this day don't actually know if they like run your name to find out. Like, I know they ask you like, have you ever been arrested or have they ever had any charges against you? Have you ever been pulled over? Um, 
And I've been pulled over a couple times. Actually, the one time I did get pulled over driving um, from here to uh, back to Pennsylvania for school, I got pulled over in New York. I was doing 84 and a 65 and I got stopped and I thought for sure I was going to get a speeding ticket. And this cop, I was terrified. The New York sheriff or whatever, and he's wearing his hat and I was terrified and he ended up just giving me a uh, ticket for having, I had like these Derek Jeter fuzzy dice hanging in my, in my mirror and he gave me a ticket for, yeah. Oh, that's (laughs) such a chicken (laughs) crap ticket. Yeah, but he just wanted his tags, I guess, for the month. But yeah, I was uh, I was very lucky in that regard. But and then I had another ticket just for running a stop sign. And the actually the the um, the guy in my interview said, "Well, why didn't?" He said, "Did you fight the ticket?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Why didn't you fight it?" And I said, "Because I didn't stop." Like that. That's just how kind of naive I was to police back then. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, he caught me. I didn't stop. I rolled the stop sign. So why would I? Why would I try and fight that? But now as a police officer, to see the the lengths that people will go to fight their tickets and to fight their charges is unreal. It's good. You're not a liar, you know? Well, yeah, I just forget and stop. I got caught. I mean, I blew many other stop signs that I didn't get caught doing. So, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, If you have a ticket for one, just imagine all the ones you didn't get caught for. (laughs) Exactly. So all my stops are pretty good after that though. So do you have some advice to uh, new police officers who are looking to get on the job? And this is a pretty big um, percentage of our listeners and um, a lot of females too. We get a lot of letters from females who are um, maybe sometimes a little more concerned about it because it is kind of like a, you know, quote man's job. It's dominated by men and um, it definitely poses a little bit more challenge to women. I think in that way. Yeah. I would say just for people in general applying to policing, um, if your number one reason to apply is not, to help people, then don't apply. Like, don't, don't get hired because you want to carry a gun and drive fast. Like, that's not the job. Like the job has like from, you know, obviously I did, I wasn't a police officer in the eighties and nineties, but you know, it's not about going and getting in fights in the streets anymore. Policing is so much dealing with mental health, dealing with people in crisis, dealing with, you know, your, your snowflakes that are offended or upset. And it's like, you have to be able to make them believe that you care about why they're upset. Even if you don't, even if it's the dumbest thing to you in the entire world, you got to make them believe that you do care. Um, so I would say like, if you want to help people, it's absolutely the job for you. I think that the job needs more females. Um, because at the end of the day, it's you, you carry enough weapons that if you're ever in a fight, you're going to be fine. (laughs) If you know how to use them and you've got good instincts. Um, I think that females have an ability to be a little more, um, empathetic and reasonable. Um, use that verbal especially. judo. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I said. Like my mouth has gotten me out of so many situations that I'm sure male officers would have ended in fights. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not a big person. I'm, you know, five foot three and maybe, you know, maybe 160 pounds with my 30 pounds of gear on. So I'm not, I'm not a, a big officer by any stretch. Um, but I know how to talk to people and that's, that's a quality that I would say, um, females tend to be better at. There's certainly females that are not better at it and there's certainly males that are great at it, but I would say as a whole, and I think most people would agree that, um, females tend to be pretty good at talking to people, especially when people are at an escalated state. Yeah. I'm very useful too. And, in, in um, domestic situations or when there's a very angry male, a lot of times there, there's just they're just more apt to be calmed down by a woman. There's more of yeah. a, that 
feminine quality is very, can be very useful in those situations. Exactly. And I just think that, uh, and with females, I know their, their biggest apprehension tends to be, you know, the strength thing, or I'm not strong enough, or I'm not fit enough. But I mean, that's just not really the, the job anymore. It's not, it's not like that anymore. At least up here, so much of what we deal with in, in a lot of our opinions is not police matters, but it somehow still gets sent to the road and we still have to go deal with it. So, um, it's, it's essentially almost feels like social work a lot of the time. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's the numbers or percentage are so low. Just it's almost just naturally women are less, less into confrontation. But I think if you're a woman who's in, you know yourself and you're interested in police work, you should do it because we do need more women on the, on the jobs. Um, and there's a lot of super tough and capable women that are cops. Um, but I think, I think that's why it's the numbers are so low. It's just not, most women don't want to get into it. Seems yeah, like. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think too, like just from even my background as an athlete, like, cause I think the biggest and best characteristic to have, um, in terms of getting along on the job, like with coworkers and, you know, as a patrol officer helping each other out is, coming from a team sport background because you know everything from like knowing your role as a rookie. It's like being a freshman on a college team or it's like being the new guy on the sports team and, you know, looking up to your seniors, respecting your seniors, even if, you know, even if your senior guy is the biggest asshole in the shift, he's still been there, done that. So he, he deserves some respect. And, um, I think team sports give you a lot of those characteristics. And I, I wish that more females that played team sports and played college sports and NCAA would, go into policing because I think that they would find that they would love it. Um, it honestly, it's, it's my third, um, adult career in, in my life as a 30 year old. And it's, I, I'm going to do this forever. It's, I love this job. It's awesome. It's so cool. I've interviewed women on here that are just such, uh, such great people and such awesome cops, you know, and they just have, it's a very special woman that, I mean, it's a special person that becomes a police officer. Let's face it. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's job's yep. not for anybody, everybody, but it's a very special type <laughs> of woman that can be a cop and kind of, um, navigate through that kind of boys club. And I think you're right with the team sport thing. I yep. think if you, if you have that mindset and that kind of, um, and you, and I think most people do enjoy that kind of camaraderie, um, it's a great job. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And not to mention like the team sport thing, like, you know, people always joke if you go into a women's locker room, it's probably the the topic of conversation is probably more disgusting than what the men talk about. <laughs> like females are females are pretty ruthless, and uh, it goes a long way too with you know shooting the shit with the boys when you're doing your your door to door meetups. And you know, it's not about being the you know the delicate frilly girl. It's about being the chick that just you know doesn't doesn't try to fit in, just kind of fits in seamlessly. And um, it's it it definitely takes a certain kind of female. Um, you know, you can't let the men intimidate you or get upset when they do, you know, kind of take over, try to take lead on things. It's just, just about keeping your cool really. And just kind of going with the flow and I don't know, just not getting upset over things that aren't worth getting upset about. But I would say that will get you through the job. Um, in, in most situations, it's, uh, like you said, it takes a special person because you're not, it's not like another job where you, you know, you clock out and you go home. Like you're, any moment of the day you, you will identify as a police officer. I know that's, that's me. I, I'm, I'm no longer just me. I am a cop and I will identify as that forever. And I love that I can identify as that now. It's, it's kind of become my part of my being. Yeah, no, yeah, really. It's one of those, it's one of those, um, professions really. It's always, it's a career, you know, it just be, kind of becomes part of you. Um, sometimes I can't believe I'm not a cop anymore. 
like because <laughs> of that, like, cause I was, I was in law enforcement for 14 years and thought I would never leave ever. You know, I, even the idea of leaving would not being a cop made me angry. You know what I mean? Like I'll never not yeah. do this. Um, and then, you know, life happens and my, my goals change and what I wanted to do with my life. And I kind of had to make some sacrifices and, um, I left, but I, I still, I mean, I do a podcast about, and I interview cops about their stories. Now I still, yeah. it's still like in me. My, my dad was a cop for over 30 years and it is, it's one of those jobs that gets, just gets into you, you know, and it's just, um, becomes part of you really. And, uh, it, it's funny cause it is, when you do finally retire after your long successful career, I'm sure um, you'll notice like now that I don't do it, it's amazing how unstressed out I am at everything. You know what I mean? Like you (laughs) don't realize how stressful police work is until like you work in the world of insurance, you know, and you're just like, geez, (laughs) nothing gets my blood pressure up at all. I, you see a car crash, you see something happen in public, whatever. You're just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Nothing yep. gets you excited because your job used to be every time, you know, you'd hear tones on the radio and go, your heart would start going. And, yeah. you know, it's like, um, it's funny when I think back, like, wow, I really have it easy now. I'm really. Uh, <laughs> well, I remember when I first got hired, I, in my sleep, I would hear the, the, the notification sound from our computer of when a call comes in. And I would, I would, I'd, there'd be times in my day where I would think that I would hear the radio but it was obviously wasn't cause I wouldn't be at work, but it's those little things. And even like, cause we can access, um, the call screen from like any, any laptop I can log in and see what's going on in the city. And I, I'm still new enough that it excites me to look at calls and see what's going on in the city. Cause it's, it's ownership, right? Like it's, I feel like it's, it's, I, it's my city and I sure. like to take care of it and I like to see what's going on. So actually earlier today I was looking at the call screen and, uh, we had a call um, on the weekend because we just came off our five banger and we had a call where uh, it, it came in as a domestic, but it was essentially uh, a, a couple that had broken up a while ago, but they have what they call shared custody of their dog. And I can totally respect and appreciate that. I have oh two boy. dogs and they are, they are my babies. Right. Um, but uh, so I guess the male went to go pick up the dog from the female's house, but he ended up being two hours late. So she was like, nope, like I'm not, you know, I'm going to turn the lights off, pretend I'm not home. Um, so she called us to say, you know, he's parked outside my house. He won't leave. He was supposed to be here two hours ago, but he, you know, he wasn't. And she said, I, I could see him in the driver's seat. And I know that he's a suspended driver. So we go over and uh, he wasn't there when we got there, but we went to his address and we had gotten there before him. So when we saw him roll up, you know, we had our evidence he was driving. So anyway, we had dealt with him in terms of the suspended drive but he wanted to get the dog back. And we just kind of explained to him that like, just like with child custody, I don't know how it is in the States, but um, up here with child custody, even when there's an agreement and an arrangement, police can't just go in and, and rip kids or rip dogs or rip property out of someone's house just because the agreement says, you know, by nine o'clock, you know, she has to give the dog back. And the only way that that ever happens with child custody, there's, we have what's called a police enforceable clause, which a, a justice of the peace will sign off of saying that, you know, if so-and-so contravenes this agreement, police have the authority to go in and take the child. And they do that very rarely because they don't want us going into houses and ripping kids out and, sure. and scarring, scarring them. But anyway, so um, he was all hyped up because he wanted the dog back. She didn't want to give it back that night. She's like, just tell him that I'll give it to him tomorrow. So we had thought that we dealt with this you know, famous last words, right? You're like, Oh, this is, this is settled. Everyone's fine. 
We get another call half hour later that he has called her 26 times about the dog and won't leave her alone. So she's now saying, oh, he's harassing me, this and that. So we end up, we just said to her, you know, turn your phone off for the night. We told him, leave her alone. We thought it was fine. So earlier I was looking at the call screen to see what was going on. Apparently they went to, they were supposed to meet up to, I guess, facilitate an exchange with the dog. And I guess he apparently broke her window in her car and took her purse, took the dog, took the keys, took everything. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God. But that's the, that's the stress of the job because now I'm thinking about it and I shouldn't be because I'm in the middle of my days off. Yeah, yeah, you got to turn that thing off. But I can't help it. Like it's because I just, I like to know these. And I mean, it, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that'll wear off. But like I said, I'm still new enough that I, the job excites me all the time, but it you're can like, take a toll. You're <laughs> like S- Sergeant Angel from Hot Fuzz. Got to turn it off. <laughs> yeah I, I have yet to get there but i'm sure i will at some point i remember when my wife and i were dating uh we went to her parents house and um their phone ringer was set somehow to the exact same ringer as the 911 line in our station because oh, yeah, 911 used to go pipe directly through all of our speakers so everybody in the station could hear it um and i had to ask her mom after like the third call i'm like uh can you turn that ringer to something different or something? Because it's really, it's triggering me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, those little things, they, they definitely get to you. Well, Em, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was really fun. Yeah. Do you have any other Canadian related questions? Like I, it's always, it's always funny to hear Americans ask. One of my American friends actually the other day asked me, she was shocked when I sent her a picture of our money because we have pretty colored, um, colored bills and, she said, oh, I thought you guys do use American money. And I was like, why would we use American money? <laughs> what? I'm like, that's a really ignorant thing to say. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Looney and Tooney. I don't even know. Is that, the, is that their last names? Looney and Tooney? No, that's just the, the Looney. Well, so the, I believe, and I don't know, I, don't quote me on this, but our, so our, our bird is the loon. Um, and I believe that's where they got the name Looney. Um, after like our, our, I think it's our national bird or it's one of our birds is a loon. Um, and that's actually on the loony, like on the dollar coin. And then our $2 coin is called a toonie. And I, I, I think just because it's two, two loonies. Oh, my, so I, good. <laughs> I don't know though. I mean, that sounds very, it's, it, it sounds very Canadian to do that. So that, that very well could be where it comes from. I'm probably an awful Canadian for not knowing like the legit answers, but I think that's what it is. That's awesome. No, I think I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot about the Canadian culture. This is good. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad. Reach out anytime. Uh, this has been really fun talking about uh, policing with an American. So. Yeah, absolutely. You, it was, uh, wasn't too scary. No, no, this has been great. This has been really fun. I, I seem to feel in my comfort zone when I start talking about policing. So. No, you sound totally comfortable. It was really, yeah. really fun. I appreciate you. I mean, we're, we're well over an hour. I appreciate you taking the time on a, would you say your fiver? Uh, yeah, so we just came off our, our, we call them like our five bangers. We just had five, five shifts. Bangers. So now, yeah, so we're on four days off now and then we go back for another five banger. And then, so. <laughs> Man, I got to learn these phrases. Way more fun. Yeah, than weird talk. Canadian vernacular. It's excellent. Yeah. All right, Em. Well, thank you so much. Um, please be safe out there in Canada. And uh, I'd, I would absolutely love to have you back sometime if you're, if you're open to it and discuss uh, some more, some more differences and some more calls. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thank you for checking out the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please go to thingspolicey.com. Scroll down to guest and just fill out the quick little form there and I will get right back to you 
uh, ASAP. I really appreciate that. It's been working out great. and getting um, lots of good guests, guys. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast and uh, the catalog of stuff behind you, there's, I think, over 60 hours now between the interviews and the Cops in the News segment. Um, you could also uh, give a donation. We're, we so appreciate the, the donations we get. Um, it all goes to to just running the show and just slowly upgrading our equipment so we can keep bringing you um, good, solid quality um, audio and um, good content. So uh, anything at all is appreciated. I get super pumped. I get a notification that we got two bucks. I think it's incredible that we could do this podcast and um, the listeners, just 100% listeners supported. As you know, uh, Amazon will not allow us to have a link. We've tried several times and they just don't want to be affiliated with the police. So super unfortunate because I have a lot of you reaching out and requesting the link so that you can um, just shop through us on Amazon. That would be huge. Can't happen uh, right now. I might try again in a couple months, but as of now, they've pretty much rejected us because of our... um, police theme. So um, just go to the website, click the donate button. That's so, so appreciated, guys. Also, um, if you you could also support the show by getting some merchandise. You can get um, a t-shirt, uh, coffee mug, sweatshirt. I think that's about it. Not too much stuff, but there's a, there's a few things um, on there you can order. And um, yeah, we love that. We love it when you order it and then, um, you know, post wearing it online. Hashtag things please see. That's really cool. So, um, guys, thank you again. Uh, we, we so appreciate your, li- your listenership and, um, yeah, catch you next time.